Morning, can I extend that welcome to Cornstone Church, Liverpool. Really good to see you this morning. My name is Paul, one of the leaders here. And thank you to Ben as well, just extend that invite. Ben just did in about 20 seconds really well, but it took me an hour to do last week, so thanks for that, Ben. Um, but there are two meetings on here tonight. Um, so that's why last week we met there. So for those that came last week, we're actually going to meet in the front section here. So come through the front. There will be a, there's a music meeting in there. So try if you wander through there, you might just be asked to sing in front of everybody. So I wouldn't do that if I was you. So come through the front doors, half six. If you didn't come last week, you're more than welcome to come this week. It will still be really, really useful to you as we open up God's word together. So if you open up your Bibles, we're in 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through to chapter 2, verse 3 today. Some people putting coats on and zipping up. Now it's a good time to do that as well. There's actually, Chester's just got the one heat spot in the whole church. There's one heat here. So there's, if you all want to crowd in here, there's like a meter of warmth just there. If you want to come forward and crowd, that's fine. So we are in our third message. Steve's been taking us through this book so far. We've met twice to, to walk through this. And it's a wonderful letter, one Peter. It's the apostle Peter who writes it. And he writes it, as he says, to elect exiles. God's people all the way in different places around modern day Turkey. And what he's doing, he's telling them who they are. And last week we saw that who they were had been anchored in the past. They were born again believers to a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who was alive. And they were to anticipate a glorious, wonderful future that they would be raised in Christ when he returns and enjoy the fruits of that new creation. But also that God is active in the now, bringing joy and life through trials. It's from, it's from that point that we move today into today's verses. And we ended last week on verse 13. And we're going to start this week on verse 13. Let me just read it. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So last week we were given a framework for that. And it's so important to keep that framework in mind. The past, the present, and the future. I think a lot of the time when we stutter in our faith or lose ourselves in our faith, it's often because we've lost track of one of those three markers. God's work in the past, God's work in the present, and God's work in the future. And today what we're going to see in light of that framework, we're going to see how we are to live rightly as God's people in the hostile world that we find ourselves in. So let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each, one de each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, let's pray together. Father, by your Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help us this morning to see these wonderful truths in this amazing passage of your word that you have given us this morning. Amen. Okay, so we've got four things I want to look at. First of all, I want to look at a call to holiness. Verse 14 to 16. Let me just read it again to remind ourselves. To remind us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, Peter's reminding them who they were. He's telling me that you were ignorant of God. You, you didn't know God. You didn't have an experience of the goodness of God, the grace of God in saving faith. You were the people who were living in the former passions, the former desires of your former ignorance. And these desires he's shown, they weren't, they weren't healthy, they weren't holy. And those desires, they were shaping them as a people. They were being conformed. Folks, this is really big. Let's not just move over this of what God is actually showing us and pointing to here. This is really big. They were being conformed. You see, the reality is, folks, we are being formed, influenced, and shaped all the time, all of us. What we desire brings a shape to our life. It affects us. So if we desire something, what can happen is we can build our, our life around getting it or if we think that we've got it around keeping it and it can form how we think it can form how we go about setting priorities it can priorities it can form how we engage in relationships conform how we spend our money can inform how we spend our time it can form and shape the goals in our life i will be happy if i will be satisfied if i will be fulfilled if so the question here is, what are our desires there? What are your desires? What are we allowing to form us and to shape our lives? See, Peter, what he's doing here in verse 15 is reminding them. He's saying, folks, you, you, you've been called by God. What is that calling? That calling is God's power in bringing them from, from darkness to light, from death to life. That's what he's reminding them. And he's saying that the God who actually called you, he's holy, he's set apart, he's right, he's good, he is pure. So if he is holy, if the God who called you is holy, you be holy too because you're his children. That's the phrase, that's the name that he uses for us. That quote, you be holy, for I am holy, is actually taken from Leviticus in the Old Testament. A book which is outlining and walking through that God's people are called to show what it looks like to live distinctively amongst the nations as God's people. It is God who forms us as his obedient children. Notice the words again, obedient children. We push back against that word in our culture, I think. Folks, obedience is a good thing, especially in parent-child relationships. See, in God's story, in God's reality, obedience brings joy 
and life and peace. See, as Christians, where do we grow? How do we grow in our faith? And the reality is we grow in our faith, in our interface with God. What I'm saying is we grow in God's presence. It is him that shapes us. It is him that forms us. He changes our desires to holy and healthy desires. So as we seek to ground this, and what he's saying in this section, just think and pray through these questions. What do you think is forming you? What has the biggest influence in forming your thinking and your lives and your desires? What desires are shaping your life? What desires do you have that you know to be destructive to yourself and to people around you? What are the things that you need to repent of and turn away from? What are the things that you know actually belong to your former life outside of God? What are those things? Where is it that you need help to walk in your holy calling as God's child? Remembering that we are formed by God in his presence. Second of all, we get a call to reverent fear, verse 17 to 21. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 17 to 18, we're getting a call here, a call to fear. We're getting a call to right fear, to reverent fear. Fear which God's word says is the beginning of wisdom. Right fear, folks, is where life is. Because without this right fear, we live dangerously. Without this right fear in our relationship to God, we make incredibly dangerous assumptions about God. In the summertime, that is two, three months ago, we went to Norfolk. Norfolk is, uh, I'm subscribing to you where Norfolk is. Sorry, Michael, he's from Norfolk. It's the faraway part of the country on the other side, over there, just by the North Sea. And my brother-in-law is, a, is a, uh, one of my brother-in-laws is a guy called Sam. Sam's a really good swimmer. He's got shoulders about this wide. And he does these things called sea swims. I'm sure you know what they are. He's basically he's just swimming in the sea. And he goes out and does it quite a lot. He's a strong swimmer. And I said that I'd go with him. I'd go and have a go while I'm with him in that week. I'll go with you. I was up for the challenge and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm an okay swimmer. I can get from A to B. I can't actually do it with any style. I look terrible when I swim. I have to say that. My wife thinks I'm drowning every time I do. But I can get from A to B. And I'm quite fit, so I thought I could do it. I'm up for the challenge. And he said to me, well, we're going to have to go. And, and there's reasons for this, apparently. You, if you want to see swim, you go within two hours of high tide. It's to do with the currents. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the day we planned to go was this Tuesday, and it was 8 a.m. I was like, hang on a minute. 8 a.m. So there we were, 7 a.m. in the morning, down at the North Sea. You can see where this is going. It's not going well already. And when we got there, there was storm winds. Literally, there'd been a storm, and there were storm winds driving in. And at this point, it looked like sheer idiocy to do anything about this, because it was sheer idiocy. But at that point, I'd agreed to do it, and I said I was going to do it, and I'm not going to back down because I'm stubborn and I'm proud 
in the wrong sense. I said, let's do it. My wife, Bonnie, had come down to watch. She left. She said, no, this is ridiculous. I'm going. So she went for a run. She couldn't watch it. She didn't think we were going to do it. But we couldn't get into the sea where we were because it was too stormy. So we had to walk about four or 500 meters down the coast to a place where we could get in, where it wasn't as dangerous actually getting into the water. So we got into the water and we started swimming out about 100 meters, where it was a lot deeper. And it was really deep because the seashells dropped off quite a lot and the waves were coming in. So the waves were hitting the shore, but we'd gone through the waves, but there's another round of waves that were hitting us and breaking out into the sea there as well. And he'd give me some goggles because I haven't got any, got any goggles. And they were steamed up. There was water in them. I couldn't really see. And he said, let's start swimming. So we start swimming. We're plugging away. And after five minutes, I'm exhausted. So, so I shower and I put my head up and we hadn't got anywhere. We literally hadn't got anywhere. We'd move back. So, okay, we'll do it again. So we start going again. You can't put your feet down because you're totally out of your depth. And the waves are coming in. So actually just to stay afloat at this point was exhausting me. And I was getting tired and tighter, and tighter and tighter. And the waves kept coming in. They were going through me. I'd swallowed loads of salt water and I couldn't see. And as I looked to the shore, the more I put in, the more I saw that actually it was going away. And the waves were coming in. The waves were taking us away. And I started to panic. I'm not ashamed to say that actually there's only been a couple of times in my life that I've thought, I actually thought I was going to die. I was exhausted. I had no energy left. And I actually didn't think it was possible to get back in swimming. I'd gone. And Sam, the guy who was with us, he saw the panic in my eyes. He's seasoned at this. He's done this loads. And he just moved over towards me and held his hand out as he probably said, grab that. Grab that. <laughs> so I just held on to his arm, <laughs> hanging in the water. And within about five, six seconds, all that pride kicked in again. Oh, I'm okay again. And he said, do you want to go in? I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I literally can't do this. So he had to guide, literally he had to guide me in. He had to do it at a certain angle. And we got in safe, slowly. Folks, the sea is dangerous. The sea is dangerous. I don't know if you don't know that. All you need to do is go down to the sea at a tide and a storm and you'll see the sea is dangerous. If you approach the sea wrongly, if you don't understand how the sea works, it's dangerous. There's a deep power. There's a dangerous power. There is high stakes at play. This is death or life when it comes to this. But with the right fear, with the right fear, you can approach. In fact, with the right fear of the sea, you can actually enjoy the sea. See, a right fear with something so powerful isn't wrong, is it? It's actually wise. It's wise. The point here that Peter is laying out is the wrong fear leads to a wrong attitude to God. You see, their ancestors that he's talking about, they passed down religious habits. These are the futile ways that he's referring to. Ways that they thought or wrongly assumed that they could just, that would make them right before God or a concept of God that they had. Ways that they thought that they could just approach God. And again, this concept of God that they had imagined that they'd formed will just approach. And the silver or gold that he talks about, this, this is referring to idolatry. These are ways to appease what they thought of as God. Things that they thought were of value or even eternal significance to them and God. They were offering up. Peter's saying they're fading, they're perishable, they're nothing before God. You can't just assume you know how to get to God. You can't just assume that everything is going to be all right between you and God. God's made it really clear. God has made it really clear, really clear that there is only one way to approach him. Only one way, exclusively one way. He will judge. Impartially, verse 17 tells us, 
and he's going to judge what you've done your whole life. That will not go well with you. But Peter goes on to remind God's people and he says, you've been ransomed. Notice that word, ransomed. A price has been paid. But it's not measured in finite things such as silver and gold. You can't pay the infinite price that we need to pay to an infinite God for the death of our sin. But God has provided. And he's provided through the precious blood of Christ. He is a sacrifice of infinite worth. And Peter, he is showing them who they are because of what God has already done for them. He's telling them, you are a blood-bought people. The God of eternity stepped into time to save us, to save you, to give us life. Jesus Christ, he is that Passover lamb. He's without blemish or without spot. He's saying Jesus Christ was perfect, perfect in every way. And he died in our place. And he was raised by the power of God and thereby declared as King of kings and Lord of lords. Peter's saying you are right before God only because of God and only by God. Your faith is not in perishable things, things that pass, things that have no eternal significance. Your salvation is not in religious works, what you do, what you keep on doing. Your faith is in God, who is infinite, eternal, and all-powerful, and therefore able to save us. And your hope for the future, folks, your hope for the future is not in financial security. It's not in a job that you have desires for. It's not in relationships. It's not in having that future spouse or the children. It's not even in your friends. It's not in your reputation, the respect or the legacy that you think you're going to leave. It's not in how you are viewed. It's not in how you, whether or not you live well or die well. Your hope is in the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's your hope for the future. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to strive for meaning. You don't have to strive for, for purpose. You don't have to strive for identity or belonging. You don't have to strive for security or for assurance or peace or joy. Why? Because it's all yours in Jesus. All yours in Jesus. Your faith and hope are in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. A right fear of God leads to enjoying God, knowing that the price has been paid. Thirdly, we have a call to love. Verse 22 down to 2.1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Purify your souls in obedience to the truth. What Peter's saying is you believe the gospel. But what he's also going on to say here is that there is a goal to this belief. There is a goal, an outworking of your belief, and it's to love one another from a heart, from your born-again heart with sincerity. And he gives reasons, so verse 23 is given reasons for why we are to love one another with a pure heart, a sincere heart, because you've been born again. 
That's what he's showing us. You have been born again. We saw that last week. Steve went through that last week. It takes God to bring us to life from death. He has done it. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what that means, folks, is that you have God's Holy Spirit in you. God's Word tells us that you have God's Holy Spirit in you. That means that you have been regenerated. You have new life because you've been made new. You are a new creation in Christ. And the seed that is being referred to here is God's Word in you by God's Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. And that is the transforming power of God. The transforming power of God. And it pours into us in love and it pours out from us in unfading love because it's the love of God that works through us. And Peter gives them comfort and assurance. He, he contrasts it to the perishable things of the world. Word. He's saying that God's word, God's word is eternal. God's word is imperishable. God's word does not fade because it's God's word. And he points here to God's promises. Verse 24 here, he's actually quoting from a book in the Old Testament called Isaiah. And Isaiah is writing to God's people. And in this section, he's talking about God's people who are in exile. Israel, they're in exile. They've been taken away. And they're living in this hostile culture as exiles. And they're feeling vulnerable, small. And they're waiting for God to return. They're waiting for God to bring them home. And God is saying to them, in light of that reality of living in that hostile world, God's saying to them, my promises are true. The flesh that he starts to, to quote off there. The flesh of the nations that are holding them captive. And he's saying, they're like the grass. The flowers, they will fade, they will wither, they will die. But in contrast to that fading and dying and withering, my word stands forever. My will will come to pass. I will bring you home. Can you see why he's quoting this? Can you see the similarity to, to what's going on with Peter's time? Can you see the similarity to what's going on with us? Remember in verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. See, it, it's real. It's what Peter's saying is he's calling them to set their hope fully on that grace to, to come in light of the anchor in the past, in light of God's activity in the present, in light of that anticipation of the future. He is saying that it's real. The hope that you have is real, it's true. God's promises stand. God doesn't fail. God's coming back. The hope at the end will come to pass. Why? Because God promises it. So the question then becomes, can you be so sure about your own hope for the future? And why? Two weeks ago, um, me and my wife Bonnie, we had a, a day together before we went away for a weekend with the family. And we decided to go for a walk. And we found that a walk that we thought would be really good on the internet. It was called the Anne Griffiths Memorial Walk, okay? And it's in Mid Wales. It was a couple of hours drive away, and it sounded lovely. The description we had of it was just incredible. It was beautiful. It was basically an eight-mile an eight walk. We wanted to do a good walk. An eight-mile walk, and it was all along rivers. It was through meadows. It was up and down over hills and in valleys. It was wonderful and the description just brought that to life we we're like wow this sounds amazing so we set off in the car at 9 a.m it was a, a two two and a half hour drive to get there at 11 30 a.m and i wanted food because i'm a bloke and I, i'm someone says to me do you want food in my course don't ask me again please i always want food you never know when a war is going to break out you've got to feed yourself in case you need the energy 
But Bond's like, no, we'll have food after because we're eating a bit later. I, I just, I don't get the reasoning. She's like, we'll eat later in the evening, so why don't we eat later in the lunch? I'm like, no, I'll eat now, then, then, and then, then, and then, then, and then keep eating. He's like, no, like, okay, we'll do that, love, that's fine. We'll wait for food. It was a three and a half hour walk, apparently, as we looked at it. So we'd be eating by three, I'm like, okay, I can, I can do this, I can do this. But as well as that, the way that I walk, I don't like carrying stuff. I get quite hot, so I don't like carrying a bag. So I didn't want to take any water with me. So, so I just I thought, no, do you know, we won't carry water. I hate carrying bags. We'll leave that back there. So in my head, I'm like, okay, we'll be a three and a half hour walk back to the car. It'll be wonderful. At the end of the walk, I just got this brilliant picture. It was like a, a village pub or a cafe. Do you know the one with a roaring fire? And there was a, a lovely pint of nice ale. There was a big, massive, hearty meal in front of us. It was just great. We'd be tired rightly. It'd be a lovely time. I had this picture, and that would drive me forward. That would be my reward. And that's what spurred me on. And it was. It was a lovely walk. Just after 3, uh, 3 p.m., we arrived at the end of the walk. We were starving. I was starving. Anyway, I was hungry. I was absolutely shattered. That good shattered you get after a bit of exercise to discover we didn't recognize where we were and we had no reception. We didn't know what was going on. And we're searching frantically, do you know, as we do now, we just waft you, just think apparently I can pick up reception if I hold my whole phone high enough. We're running around trying to look for reception. And then Bonnie got some and her face dropped. She's like, hi, what's going on? I said, we're eight miles away. And I'm like, what? Eight miles away? We'd walked in a straight line from the car directly away. And we're like, we didn't realize it seemed like it was walking away and walking around, but it didn't, a straight line. And we were in the middle of nowhere. There was no buses. And if there was a bus, it, bus, it definitely wouldn't have taken us back directly to where our car was in the middle of nowhere. There's no taxis. The food, the drink, all that comfort, the log fire, everything that I'd set my hope on, it was never there. It was never there. It was never a reality. There was actually never a feeling at the end of that walk of home. It was all in my imagination. All of it. Folks, do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? Do you know what's at the end of your journey? How do you know? That's the question. How do you know? What are you trusting and depending on? that makes you think and so sure that at the end of this journey is what you think it is? Is it your view? Is it someone else's? Is it what you've been told? Or is it just a hope, a pipe dream? See, we're all headed to a destination. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ here today, what's at the end of your road? Because if there's anything good in your head, it's all in your imagination. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have hope. See, in God's reality, there is a destination, there is an end point, there is a journey's end. Jesus Christ is coming back. We will all stand before him. The Bible tells us that God is going to judge the living and the dead. If you don't believe, you will face the judgment and the punishment for your sins. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has taken that for you. And you will be with him forever in a new creation. His promises will stand you have an inheritance that is being held for you right now that you will receive. And instead of pain and brokenness and suffering, you get life. You get a new creation to enjoy with God and his people. You get perfection in Christ. See, at the end of our journey as believers in Christ is home. With God forever. How do we know? Because God's promised it. 
because God has promised it and he can be trusted and we can trust him. And what Peter's calling us is saying that let that reality transform you now. Let that reality transform you now. If that is true, if that's where you're headed, if that's what's going to happen, then everything changes. And the ways that we should do that is to display that love. He calls us to love one another, doesn't he? That God's transforming love that we have within us pours out of us to those around us. What might that look like? Well, I think he goes on to show a little bit in 2.1. Put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. What do these do? These all break down community, don't they? They all break down relationship. They're destructive. These are all about building yourself, not building others. Protecting yourself. These kind of things, they tear at the fabric of relationships. They tear. Just think where you might be drawn to some of these. Malice being holding things against people. You may not be expressing it, but you hold them in your heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Deceit and hypocrisy, these are, these are lies. This is wearing a mask. This is not sincere love. This is pretending. And that's where trust is eroded. Vulnerability is shut off. Closeness is shut off. Envy is not wanting good for others. But instead of wanting someone to have something and be blessed with something to go, why have they got it? I want it. It's slander. It's not just making up stories. It's not just making up stories as we think, but it's negative words about others. It might be social media, but it could well be in the quiet of your home, just with a few close friends, or even in your head. However close a circle that you have, it doesn't make it right, folks. We are a people formed by the goodness and the grace of God. We are a people formed by a God who speaks life into existence. His very words are words of life. And we are his people formed by him. His actions, what do they do? They pour out life and love to us. We, Cornerstone Church, are a community of life. Let's pray that we would be a community of life-giving words and a community of life-giving deeds, one to another. Words and actions that build and edify and, and honor and encourage that's how we can show that we, we love one another with a pure heart. I'm so grateful for you guys. I really am. I think over the past couple of years, it's really drilled that into me. I'm not someone who's great at expressing it verbally. I get uncomfortable with emotion and expressing it with my mouth. And people know that I'm the awkward hugger as well, which is COVID being a blessing for that. But folks, you guys are a blessing. And we've been sharing as elders when we've met just the wonderful blessing that it is to have you guys as the church, to see and experience and to taste the goodness of God through you guys. I'm sorry I don't say it enough, but you guys are a true, proper, proper blessing. You bring joy to my heart and joy to my family's heart. And I thank God for you daily. So how can we do that this week? Because point four is that we can constantly turn to God to be transformed. See, as newborn infants, we have to feed continually on the goodness of God. Like newborn infants, 2 verse 2. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See how quickly I moved on from that emotion? <laughs> See, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good. If you believe in Jesus, you have experienced blessing. You've experienced forgiveness. You have joy and freedom and peace in life. 
And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, deep down, you know the true joy and life and peace is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what happens when you go searching for it elsewhere, you know that that's not going to provide that. So how can we do what Peter calls us to through these verses? Peter's saying that if we're to grow in our faith, we're to long for more of him. Newborns, they, they can't survive on their own. They're dependent, aren't they, on their mum for milk, for daily feeding. And newborn knows where sustenance is, knows where, where food is, and longs for it, cries for it, reaches for it. We folks are dependent on God for growth in our faith. We don't ever outgrow our dependence on God, ever. We grow into dependence on God. Let me say that again because I, I think we have this view of maturity as growing out of dependence on God. We don't ever outgrow our dependence on God. We grow into dependence on God. If you're struggling here today, welcome. We all walk through it. Many of us are walking through this now. But the wonderful truth is that God invites us into it in our struggle, in our joylessness, in our wrestle, in our faith. He says, come to me. And ask God to give you a thirst and a hunger for him. And folks, there's no, there's no better time than now. As we come to take communion together. Bread and wine, this grace that God gives us. To taste and experience with our, our hands and our mouths into our bodies. To receive and experience, reminding us what we have received from God. To remind us how good God is to us. Reminded of this precious blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for us. He who is eternally beautiful, infinitely valuable, eternally wonderful in every way. Folks, we've been ransomed. All of us who believe in Jesus, we were formerly ignorant. We were living for the wrong things, but we've now been brought back from those things. We've been born again, new creations purified, to love one another. So folks, just take a look around. Seriously, please, can you, can you take a look around? I ask you to do that. It's awkward, isn't it? But do it, please. <laughs> These are the people that God has called you to love. God just doesn't leave this abstract hanging there. He puts you in a context and a setting and a family amongst brothers and sisters in Christ and says, what's it look like? Look left and right. That's what it looks like. Love these people. Pray for these people. Bless these people. Use your words and your actions to build these people up. And as you take this, see what we, we are doing at the moment. So in front of you in the back of the church, you will see these two jars. And in one is bread and in one is it's actually grape juice. And what I would ask you to do is, is just keep hold of them for a minute. Think through some of the things that we've shared, some of the verses that you've heard, anything that God might have been laying on your heart. And take this time now to confess and repent. If there's anything you're holding on to, any desires that you're holding on to, anything that you know is destruct, destroying you internally, repent of it. Ask for God's help. If you've been using your words your thoughts, your actions to break others down. Ask for forgiveness for those things. Repent of those things. 
Confess in the light of the forgiveness that is yours. Folks, if you're not a believer here today, I ask that you would let this pass. The Bible says that this is for Christians, so please let this pass. But if you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you confess and repent, knowing that we've been forgiven. So after a few minutes, I want you to take some minutes and moments yourself, because the flow of this passage we've looked on, it moves from your individual relationship in many ways with God, then into this communal relationship. Take a couple of minutes yourself to pray, to ask God to help you in this. Then after a couple of minutes, Michael is going to sing a song for us. It's called At the Foot of the Cross. It's a song about coming to Christ for life and peace. It's a song that tells us that all our debts have been paid. It's a song that tells us that love has won. So in light of these words, I want you to ask God to show you the forgiveness that you've received, to show you that your guilt has gone, that your shame has been covered by his perfection. And as we sit effectively in the shadow of the cross is where light is found. It's where we see newness of life that the Lord Jesus Christ burst from the tomb to say, you're forgiven, you're free. It's gone. Ask that God would help you to walk in that freedom that he has given you. And as he sings, folks, I ask again, please, take a moment to pray by name for people that you are looking left and right at, that you know might be struggling pray for them. Ask God to show you how you can edify them, how you can build them up, how you can love them today after the service by text through the week in your gospel community. How can you do this? How can you love them? How can you speak words of life to them? And as we drink together, let's drink knowing that there is a day when he is coming back. We will be with him in perfection, perfect love, perfect creation. So take a few minutes yourself, just praying, asking God for help. And as Michael sings to us, in your own time, in your own way, eat and drink if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll rejoice together.